You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Are you glad to be here this morning? You happy to be here? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here too. All right. Tell tell that second one you love them just as much as the first one. You You just thought of them first. Don't take anything personal by it. It is great to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it? Have you, um, it's happened a time or two to me before where uh, in a crowd of people and you're trying to gather the crowd around that we're going to have a time of prayer and um, it never fails, someone on the outside of the crowd doesn't hear the announcement that you're going to pray, right? And you begin to pray and the crowd right around you gets quiet and it the quietness uh, kind of reverberates to the very back of the crowd. And then finally, someone in the back says something like, oh, they're praying. And they stop the shuffle, they stop their talking, and they bow their head and pray. Oftentimes, they will apologize at the end. I didn't know you were praying. Has, has that ever happened to you before? It's happened to me before. I've been in that situation. I've been on the, I've been on the uh, praying side of it. I've also been on the outside of it where I've walked into a room and, and didn't know that somebody was praying. And you walked in there loud and obnoxious, and then you go, oh, wait, they're praying. And so you, you stop the shuffling, you stop whatever you were doing, you bow your head and you pray, and, and uh, possibly you apologize uh, at the end. Uh, John chapter 17 is what some would say the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. It is the prayer of Jesus. At this very moment, Jesus is interceding for you and I. He is in heaven praying, going to the Father for you and I. Now, I can't tell you what Jesus is praying at this very moment, but what I can do is I can take you to John chapter 17 and show you how Jesus prays. How would you like to sit in the room with Jesus and listen to him pray? Story is told of Jim Simbla. I just heard this story a couple of weeks ago. Jim Simbla was, was preaching at a uh, at a conference at the at the Cove Billy Graham uh, Conference Center, and uh, he was preaching. and He said the number one priority of Christians is for us to pray. That is the number, beyond anything else, the number one priority for us, to, for us as Christians is to spend time with God in prayer. Will Graham, the grandson of Billy Graham, heard him preach that sermon, and he went to Jim Simbla afterwards, and he said, Jim, you have to come with me. I want to take you to Daddy Graham, which was Billy Graham. 
To which Jim Simbla said, man, I don't, he, he's, this was just a couple of years before Billy Graham passed away. I don't want to bother him. He's, he is, uh, his health is, is, is fading. I, I'm, I'm a nobody. I don't need to go see uh, Billy Graham. I, I've, I've loved listening to his sermons. I've loved reading his books, but I don't want to bother him. And Will Graham said, get in the truck. We're going to go see Daddy Graham. Will takes Jim Cimbala uh, up to the house to go see Billy Graham. And Billy Graham is sitting in his bedroom. Uh, struggling uh, to breathe, and, and Will rushes to his grandfather, and he says, he says, Granddaddy, I have Jim Simbla here, and you won't believe the sermon that he just preached. Billy Graham said, well, what, what was his points? What did, he, what did he preach on? He said, he said Daddy, Jim Simbla said, the number one priority of Christian is to pray. They said they waited. They could tell that Billy Graham was, was contemplating those, those words, and they gave him a little bit, and he said, if I could do it all over again, if I could live my life all over again, I would spend more time in prayer. Billy Graham, how would you like to sit in the room, sit in a rocking chair next to Billy Graham and listen to him pray? Or think of any of the disciples like Peter. I mean, what would it have been like to, to sit with Peter or, 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 or with James or with, with any of the Old Testament saints to sit with them and hear them pray? Or better yet, what would it be like to sit with Jesus Christ and hear him pray? That's what we have in John chapter 17. It is the very words of Jesus praying. Now, I don't know what this was like. John is writing these words, and so I guess John didn't bow his head. <laughs> I guess John pulled out his, his uh, paper and his pen, his inkwell and his quill, and, and, um, and he began to write and record the words of Jesus. I'm so thankful that John did. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. I, I want to encourage you to read the entire chapter this week. Meditate on this chapter this week. Spend some time. Ask questions of this chapter. Bring your questions with you next week, the next two weeks, regarding John chapter 17. I hope I answer those prayers, for those questions for you. If I don't, always feel free to email me, and I'll do my best to answer them for you. This is a beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture. Look with me in John chapter 17. <clears throat> Jesus spoke these things. It's a reference. John is referencing John chapter 13 through the end of chapter 16 when he said these things. <clears throat> Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven. <clears throat> excuse me. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Again, these are Jesus' words. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father... Glorify me in your, <clears throat> in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. 
Will you pray with me? Father, I am um, taken back by these words once again, even though I've read them many, many, many times in preparation for this message. To uh, be reminded, Genesis to Revelation, God, it's your word, but this, for some reason, this feels even deeper than that. It, it, it is your prayer. God, may we learn from it this morning. May you teach us your character. May, we, may you teach us as we study this prayer. It's in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. I want to give you uh, four observations of our text this morning. I, I, um, I tried... Um, to get through, to, to prepare a sermon for John 1 through 5, and, and, it, and it was impossible. Uh, we would be here until sometime Wednesday morning around 11-ish, I think, if we would have done that. Didn't think you wanted to do that. So I'm actually only going to get through, there's so much introduction into this prayer that I'm only going to get through verse 1 this morning. I will try to pick up verses 2 through 5 uh, with, with 6. Uh, through nine next week, uh, but just just uh, hang with me, and I, I hope that you will commit to being here as we study this this marvelous prayer. Let me give you a couple of observations. I want to give you these four observations up front. Number one is I want you to see the significance of Jesus's prayer. First is this: the significance of Jesus's prayer. The second is the setting of Jesus's prayer. Uh, I'm not sure why that graphic is graphic is up there, but we'll just go with it. Rem, or just ignore everything on the left of that. The significance of Jesus' prayer, the setting of Jesus' prayer, the timing of Jesus' prayer, and then fourth, the purpose. The significance, the setting, the timing, and the purpose. I want to give you those four observations. The first is this, the significance of Jesus' prayer. This prayer, the significance of this prayer, cannot be overstated. It simply cannot be overstated how significant this prayer is. You could mine, you could literally mine the doctrinal truths of this prayer and go weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end if you were to just really dig into the doctrinal uh, truths that are found in this text. The scope of this prayer covers the entire sweep of redemptive history. This prayer reaches all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and it looks forward all the way uh, to the end of Revelation. You can find that all in this prayer. Jesus' prayer is significant in its length, the, the prayer in John chapter 17. It's significant in its length. There are 23 references to Jesus's, to Jesus praying in the New Testament. 23 references. Seven of the 23 references contain a portion of his prayer. No doubt there was more uh, to it, but all we have in the seven of the 23 references to Jesus's prayer is just a portion, just a, just a couple of words, three to five words maybe. But in John chapter 17, now get the contrast here, 
seven of the 23 references to Jesus' prayer, we have just a couple of words. But in John chapter 17, you have roughly 615 words of Jesus' prayer. Possibly is not the entirety of his prayer, but it is all that the Holy Spirit felt like we needed. And so we will take everything that we can get. In John chapter 17, we have the only prayer with this amount of context, and it is without question the most significant of all of Jesus' prayer. Uh, So the significance of Jesus' prayer. Number two, the setting of Jesus' prayer. The setting of Jesus' prayer. Um, You've heard the story, no doubt, of Neil Armstrong, right? You know the story of Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong had a famous saying, right? You remember his famous saying? He, he, he was walking down a sidewalk, and he saw hopscotch drawn out on the sidewalk, and he made it through the hopscotch maze, and he said what? You know what he said? One small step for man, one large step for mankind. That's the right statement, but it's the wrong setting, isn't it? The right setting is what? It wasn't him walking down the sidewalk, walking over a hopscotch maze. The right setting was what? Neil Armstrong stepping off the capsule onto the moon. And he said, one small step for man, one large step for man. You see, the setting has everything to do with the statement. I want you to see the weight of the setting of Jesus' prayer. He's just hours away from the brutal death of the cross. He is literally in the shadow of Golgotha as he is praying this prayer. Jesus is praying this prayer in the presence of these 11 disciples, yet he is praying it as if he is all alone. Don't miss this. Don't miss the setting. He is praying this prayer with the 11 disciples. You remember, he has already given them all of these instructions on how they are to live in between the time of his, of his ascension and his second coming, uh, how, how to live as authentic disciples. He's given them all this instruction, and now he bows a knee in prayer. He prays with the group, but he prays as if he is all alone. Look with me in John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven, and he said, Father. A very familiar posture of prayer. He looks up to heaven. That was a very familiar posture. They weren't, they, they, they weren't surprised by anything that had happened up to that point, but Jesus simply says, Father, not the, the common, our Father. You see, his position of prayer was very familiar, but the words of his prayer were very unfamiliar. They were used to, as Jesus had taught them, to pray. You remember when, when the disciples asked Jesus, they, they heard him praying. They were, they were moved by Jesus' prayer, and they said, oh, would you teach us how to pray, and what does Jesus say? He says, our Father. This is how you are to pray, our Father. And so they were very used to, to hearing prayers like that, our Father. But here Jesus drops the hour, and he just says, Father. He is praying directly to his Father God. It's as if he is praying all alone. And by doing so, Jesus is acknowledging his submission and his dependence on God. But he is also underscoring his equality with God 
as his son. His prayer invites us into the marvelous, intimate relationship between Jesus, the Son, and God the Father. Some theologians have said this about John 17. They have said, when you read John chapter 17, you are entering into the holy of holies. Oh, the setting is absolutely marvelous. But I want you to notice the third thing, the time. We have the, the significance of Jesus' prayer. The, the, the doctrinal depth of this is, is incredibly significant. We have the setting. He's, he's in the shadow of, <clears throat> of the cross, shadow of Golgotha. The timing of Jesus' prayer is remarkable. Go, go back to verse 1 with me. Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven and he says, Father, and then he makes this statement, the hour has come. Underscore that in your Bible. The hour has come. This is the seventh time Jesus has referenced this momentous hour. Six times prior to our text this morning, Jesus had said, not the hour has come, but six times prior to this, Jesus had said, the hour has not come, or something to that effect. This is not my hour. My hour has not come. Let me take you to a couple of scriptures. The first one is in John chapter 2, verse 4. John chapter 2, verse 4. If you remember this story, Jesus is at a wedding in Cana, and they have Run out of wine. John chapter 2, verse 4, you remember that Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. You need to, you need to do something about that. And in verse 4, what does Jesus say? What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Now contrast that, jump forward to John chapter 17, what Jesus is saying, Father, The hour has come. Let me take you to another one. John chapter 12, verse 6. I'm sorry, John chapter 7, verse 6. John chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus' brothers, they're in Galilee, and they're trying to get him to go up to Jerusalem. But Jesus knows there's a crowd of people that are waiting for him in Jerusalem to arrest him. John chapter 7. Verse 6, after his brothers are encouraging him to go, what does Jesus say? Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived. Fast forward to John chapter 17, what does Jesus say? Father, the hour has come. My time has arrived. You go on, if you want to write these down in the margin of your Bible, I won't read them all. John chapter 8, verse 20, another reference to his time not being his time. John chapter 12, verse 23. John chapter 12, verse 27. John chapter 16, verse 32. Six times Jesus says, my time is not yet come. But on this seventh time, Jesus says, the hour has come. My hour has come. Don't miss the timing of this. This hour was 
simultaneously the most awful hour one could imagine, while at the same time it is the greatest hour since hours have been kept. The most awful and the greatest hour since hours have been kept. That's the hour that Jesus is referencing. It's the hour of his humiliation. It is the hour of his suffering. This awful hour to which Jesus looked forward to, as Hebrews tells us, was the time when he would be subject to man's will. All the other times, you remember, his mom is saying, what are you going to do about it? They've run out of wine. What are you going to do about it? My hour has not come. I'm not subject to your will. His brothers are saying, go up to Jerusalem. I'm not subject to your will. My hour not yet arrived. But now he is saying, I am subject to man's will. The hour has come. This is a time he would be subject to man's will, for he would be delivered up to the very hands of sinners. The hour had come in which the Son of Man would offer himself as the perfect and only atoning sacrifice for sin. The hour had come when the sinless one would be made sin for all believers. The hour had come when Christ would cancel the certificate of debt. He would take the certificate of debt and nail it to the cross. The hour had come, Jesus says. This was the hour when the Old Testament prophecies of a coming Messiah's death would be fulfilled. You remember the Old Testament prophecies prophesying that the Messiah would come and he would have to die. This was the hour that that would be fulfilled. This was the hour when the serpent's head would be crushed. This was the hour when Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 verses 3 through 5 would be fulfilled. Look with me. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3. It'll be on the screen. Follow along with me. Isaiah 53 says this, verse 3, he was despised and rejected. This is the hour that Jesus is talking about. This is the hour. I, I, I am being despised. I am being rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. This is the hour that Jesus is talking about when he says the hour has come. Verse 4, yet he himself, speaking of Jesus, he bore our sickness. He, he bore our sickness. He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. This is the hour in which Isaiah prophesying about when our Lord and our Savior would, would in Isaiah 53 verse, verse 5 says this, when he would be pierced because of our rebellion, when he would be crushed because of our iniquities, this is the hour that Jesus is talking about. He knows very well, don't miss this point, Jesus is not going to the cross not knowing what was going to happen. Jesus knows full well what is going to happen, and he is praying in, leading up to the prayer. This is the moment. This is the time. Isaiah chapter 53 goes on to say, He's crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his prophecy that was prophesied some 700 years before Jesus's birth and Jesus is fulfilling every single one of them and Jesus is saying this is the hour this was the hour when the old testament sacrifices would give way to the glorious reality of the final sacrifice the spotless lamb of god you know the old testament sacrifices were just a shadow of things to come 
Oh, and they would, they would sacrifice the lamb. They would sacrifice the animals. But, but here are the hours when the, when, when, when the spotted lamb would be sacrificed for the spotless lamb of God. This was the hour when the Old Testament priests would give way to the great high priest. The Old Testament priests were, were a shadow. Uh, Jesus Christ is, is greater than the Old Testament priests. They are just a, a shadow. They are a kind of one that is to come. This is the hour when Jesus knows that great high priest will overshadow the shadow of the Old Testament priest. This was the climactic, climactic hour when God, through Christ's sacrifice, would defeat sin. This is the hour that Jesus is saying that my sacrifice will defeat death, will defeat hell, will defeat the grave. Jesus, oh, no, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Jesus is triumphantly in charge. There's never a moment where Jesus wasn't fully in control, in charge. He is in control of his life. He is in control of his death. And I'm here to tell you that, brothers and sisters, is our King. That is our Lord. That is our Savior. That is our Messiah. And we can celebrate, we can rejoice that that is our Jesus. Always in control of life. Always in control of death. Willingly going to the cross. And it is that Savior who bids us, brothers and sisters in Christ, to come to God in prayer with the same boldness, with the same confidence that Jesus Christ went to God and said, Father, He bids us to come to Him in the same manner, the same boldness, the same confidence that He went to His Father. So we have the significance. We have the setting, and we have the timing of Jesus' prayer. And then fourth, let me, let me wrap it up with this, the purpose. The purpose of Jesus' prayer. Look at what He says at the end of verse 1. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. It's interesting that Jesus uses an imperative command here. He is commanding God to glorify Him. You say, man, what kind of... Is that, is that right? I mean, can, can Jesus command God? Absolutely. Why? Because Jesus is praying not for the glory of His name, but for the glory of God's name. He is praying in the character of God. He is praying for the purpose of God. And here He says, glorify your Son with the purpose of that your Son may glorify you. Literally what Jesus is saying, make me gloriously great. And He gives the purpose, but notice what is missing. What is missing is how God will glorify him. Now, Jesus knows exactly how God will glorify him so that Jesus can glorify God. But it is shouting. The absence of the how is shouted. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is glorify your son in any way you choose. So that 
I can glorify you. Have you ever thought about praying to God like that? Oh, God, bless me with this so that I can bless you. Bless me any way that you choose. Glorify me so that I can glorify you any way you choose. God, here's a, here's a blank check. Here's a, a blank calendar with my life. Here's a blank priorities of my life. I want to glorify you. Glorify me so that I can glorify you any way you choose. That is exactly what we see here with Jesus. Make me gloriously great, however you choose, so that the Son can intentionally and continually make you and your name gloriously great. Jesus, in his prayer here, is in full knowledge of the painful cross to come. He knows, he knows what's coming. Just hours away. We're just hours away from Jesus' arrest, crucifixion. He knows it's coming. Yet he is still willing to say, I want to be the vehicle in which your glory is delivered. Glorify your son so that your son can glorify you. He's saying, I want to be the vehicle. I want to be the stream that your glory flows. That's what Jesus is saying here in the prayer. Listen, the deepest passion of the heart of Jesus is to glorify God, not save men. The deepest passion in the heart of Jesus, is to glorify God and then save men because saving men is glorifying God. Let me say that again because I don't want you to miss that. The deepest passion of Jesus Christ is to glorify God and then second, secondary, Primary, glorify God. Secondary, save men. Because in saving men, it glorifies God. Listen, the church is the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we make up the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And the church exists primarily to glorify God. The church exists primarily to be the vehicle in which God's glory flows, to be, the, to be the stream in which God's glory flows. That is the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of us individually as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Corporately, that's the purpose of the church, to bring glory to God. Purpose of the church. We exist for that purpose. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you exists for that purpose, to bring honor and glory to Christ. And the example that we see in this, in this glorious prayer is Jesus, first and foremost, before he prays for the disciples, before he prays for the church, before he prays for anyone that's going to come to faith uh, through, through the church, he is saying, God, I want to give you honor and glory. Oh, may we not miss that. May that be the charge of our life. May that be the motivating factor of our life. Primary, first and foremost. The moment we wake up, may the first thing that comes to our mind is, God, how can I bring honor and glory to you? You choose to do that through blessing me so that I can bless you, bless your name. Take that. 
whatever your life, however you choose. Listen, if you're a, you're a part of this church family and you're thankful that that is the purpose, the reason we exist, we say amen. If you're, if you're thankful that that is the purpose of the body of Christ, we say amen. Man, let's, let's be thankful. That is, that's what God has called us to. May we not miss it. May we not miss it. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.